0: We are a group of friends, bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of Union of the Unknowns. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. The unknowns that we have joining us are myself, Ashley, Think, Change, Repeat. We have Stella from The Land Down Under. We have Big Perm and we have Kiel. Welcome everybody. Thank you for being here.
2: Good evening. Good to be back.
1: Nice to have you back. So what we're talking about tonight is going to be an introduction into a topic that seems to be having a resurgence in the Liberty community, and that is the Oklahoma City bombing. So I'm going to give a brief overview of what happened on that day, why I think it matters, how it kind of came onto the radar of the unknowns, and then um, we will take it from there. And then we hope to, at some point very soon, have a guest who is even more well-versed on the subject, um, who's been doing a lot of studying recently and can get into some of the deeper topics. And we'll also have some resources that you're able to check out on your own if you're interested in doing a deep dive on this topic. There's a ton of readily, uh, readily available information out there. And a lot to be found and learned about this subject. So, um, the the first thing that I wanted to say is that the topic of Oklahoma City really got on my radar. I just was on Twitter from our unknowns account. And there was part of the Tower Gang podcast, uh, No Way Jose, who I was not following and not really familiar with his work at that time. But had popped up and he was getting ready to go on to Uh, the Tim Pool show on Timcast. And he said that he was wearing a Terrence Yiki didn't kill himself shirt. And he was going to talk about Terrence Yiki. And then he was also kind of promoting it, trying to get the message out there about Terrence Yiki. And he said, anyone who retweets this, I will follow you. And I was curious. So I did retweet and I ended up following him and started to seeing kind of what he was about. And he it seems like there was actually someone who by the name of Jinx who had created a montage video. And maybe we can get a link to that either in this episode or one that we were able to do with Jose. But um and it was a montage about Terrence Hickey. And he said that is what got him kind of down that rabbit hole and what made him want to bring this topic up again. So that having that uh, interaction with him online, and I started following him, and then I reached out and asked if he would speak with us at some point. So since then, we've sort of been talking about looking into some of the um, the Oklahoma City stuff. So I just want to kick it off with um, a little information about that day. Depending on where you are um, maybe if you're not in the United States, you may not be as familiar with this subject. Or if you are younger, um, you may not be as familiar with this subject. And certainly it it's not something that's spoken about in everyday news. And there's, there's a lot here. So I think you'll be able to see once we start talking about some of the things that don't make sense, exactly why it isn't in the news. So on April the 19th, 1995, the Murrah building in Oklahoma City, in downtown Oklahoma City, was bombed. There was a huge explosion and it ended up killing 168 people. And you probably do know this name. It was Timothy McVeigh, who ultimately was really blamed as the mastermind of this. And then the person that was charged with being his accomplice in this was Terry Nichols. So, but, what we will hopefully discuss tonight and and what you will certainly find if you start going down some of these rabbit holes is that there's so much more to this story. It's really incredible. Um, and there's a lot of things that do not add up in any way. So, uh, that's kind of where the the very, very introduction of this. Then um, Perm has a little bit of a summary that he wants to go over, so I'm going to go ahead and send it off to him, and then we'll we'll chat about what what else we know, what doesn't make sense, all the good stuff. Take it away, Perm.
2: All right, what's up, everyone? So this is a chat GPT summarized uh, summary of the anomalies of the investigation of OKC. So I don't know how woked up it's going to be being that it's chat GPT, but we'll see how it goes. So, the Oklahoma City bombing was a terrorist attack that occurred on April 19, 1995, in Oklahoma City, United States. It remains the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history. The investigation into the bombing resulted in several anomalies that have led to ongoing investigations and controversy. Here are some of the main anomalies. Number one is missing surveillance tapes. Several security cameras near the bombing site captured footage of the attack. But many of the tapes went missing or were never released to the public. This has led to speculation that the tapes contained evidence that was withheld or destroyed. I think we've seen that in many situations since then, like the Epstein situation. And also, I I finished reading a book today, uh, Oklahoma City... What the investigation missed and why it still matters. And in that, they said that none of the cameras had worked for like a decade before this one security guard started working there and he had asked about them. And they just said there's nobody wants to pay the money to fix them. So that none of the cameras even worked at the Edward R. Murrow building. So, number two. Yeah, well, is, it's an
3: oldie, but a goodie.
2: Right. <laughs> I didn't know it went back this far. Number two is unidentified suspects. Eyewitnesses reported seeing other suspects with Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. The two men were eventually convicted of the bombing. However, no other suspects were ever charged. And an ongoing theme in the book was John Doe number two.
1: John Doe two, yes.
2: And then also there was supposedly many people saw an additional truck. And... These things just didn't seem to be investigated like they should have been. Number three, unexploded devices. Witnesses and first responders reported seeing unexploded devices inside the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in the immediate aftermath of the explosion. However, this evidence was not included in the official investigation. Number four is possible involvement of government agencies. Some conspiracy theorists suggest that government agencies were involved in the bombing, either directly or indirectly. These theories are largely based on the involvement of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the events leading up to the attack. Number five is Suppression of Evidence. There have been allegations that some evidence was suppressed or ignored during the investigation, including witness statements and forensic evidence. Despite these anomalies, the official investigation concluded that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols acted alone in carrying out the attack. However, the controversy surrounding the Oklahoma City bombing investigation continues to this day.
3: And that's it. like the official narrative to me
1: (laughs) yeah so I I do think those are a lot of the topics that I have seen that don't make sense and then I also wanted to add to that that I have heard I was listening to an interview that was done with Terrence Yeeke's ex-wife where they were discussing I believe like 30 people connected to this investigation that ended up dying and she said she knew of eight at least, so that's one of the the other ones that I wanted to talk about is the amount of people that were connected to this case that ended up dying under weird circumstances. So, number one of those is the police officer Terrence Yiki. That day, he was very very close to the scene, so he was there within minutes after the explosion happened. Then he ended up working for many hours. I think it was like three and a half hours. And, and actually injuring himself in the process to save eight people that day. And then his it was his ex-wife, but they were on good terms speaking, all that good stuff. She was called to the hospital to come and pick him up. And then that's when they had the conversation where he thought that it's not what they were saying. And then it was very weird for him after that. And then um, he ended up his death was ruled a suicide. And she said that he had been very worried about his safety. He thought that something bad might happen to him. And um it it appears that he saw something and had information that he was not supposed to have. So there's a lot of stuff that does point to involvement from federal agencies here and he had even told a friend that he had beds trailing him and that he needed to lose them because he was going to tr- go try to store information in a safe place and then he never came home again after that so there's a lot of mystery yeah. surrounding what happened to these people go ahead stella
3: from memory i think he i think he was uh, pleading his ex-wife to take out some kind of insurance policy or something
1: he couldn't really see, sort of
3: explain exactly why, but something along those lines, I seem to remember.
1: I think he was trying to get her to remarry so that if something that's happened right. to him, that her and the children would be cared for from his benefit perspective. Um yes, He wanted, right. yeah. And he, so he was afraid for his life because he knew something and saw something that he shouldn't have. And apparently, according to the wife's, recount of that. He had originally written a nine-page report on what happened, and then they allegedly lost the report that he had written. They wanted him to rewrite it, but his first one was too long anyway, and it needs to be kept to a page. So it seems like they were, if not I'm not saying that the OKC Police Department was involved, but I am saying it appears that they were at least involved in covering up or trying to suppress what Terry Yeeke was trying to say.
0: Wait, who asked him to write a letter?
1: No, he, he wrote a report after the event. You know, just which would be like standard operating procedure. You have an event, whatever. He wrote the report. He submitted that to his superiors at the police department. They lost it and they told him he needed to resubmit a new report, but to keep it to one page.
0: I see. And then he never got a chance to do that. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, I don't know if he resubmitted the one page, but he. He he never got a chance to get the truth out, whatever his report was. And his wife in this radio interview had said that she did not, he did not want her to read it. And he normally was pretty open about stuff like that with her. But in this particular case, I think he was very scared for her safety. And then it it, it turned out that over the years now, I don't know about in current times, but in the following years after that, she had moved Several times she was having threats made, threatening um, phone calls, things weird that were happening at her home. So she was scared for her safety, and they had two small children also.
3: Yeah, I believe um, he saw something to do with uh, some something to do with the blast um, hole. There was something that he was mentioning that they definitely did not want coming out. And because you say he was one of the first on the scene. So he actually saw some stuff that before that was you know removed. Um,
1: exactly. And, and I think that it, it could have been that he knew that there were actual explosives planted inside yeah. the building and there's other evidence to corroborate that. Uh, there were eyewitnesses that had seen people that it stood out to them for some reason that were working in the building and they thought that they saw them putting up like some putty type substance. So it seems like that is what Terrence saw or, or knew about. And then of course that doesn't go with the official narrative. And then the other overall issue about all this was like okay so let's say that it wasn't inside inside job then what was the point of that what were they trying to achieve from that and then um after listening to uh richard booth and i'll get into him a little bit more um but he he thought that the 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 big thing that was accomplished from this was that it totally decimated the militia movement in the United States, which was becoming very popular, but not in a way that it's being spun today as in racist, white supremacist, extremist. It wasn't that. It was just people that were essentially trying to protect their rights. Um, And so this event Basically, destroyed that because then after that, they were able to associate that with Tim McVeigh, you being a racist white supremacist. So it sounds like the desire and the groundwork for calling people that were, you know, pro Second Amendment and pro Constitution essentially um, terrorists that has been being laid for a very long time.
0: So, yeah, because I would, I'd never thought of that aspect of it before, but. Before that time, militias were more about, um, yeah, like the Second Amendment, independent. So these would be people that are uh, Waco and Ruby Ridge sympathizers that would have been the uh, antagonists here. And so the whoever orchestrated the event, one of their goals was to switch that to paint them as racists. In order to destroy whatever homegrown sympathy they might have uh, collected, I guess.
1: Right. I think it was essentially people that were concerned about the overreach of the federal government and living in a totalitarian state, which they were right, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, Waco, um, Waco
2: was an ongoing theme throughout the yeah. entire story.
1: Hmm. And so this happened on the two-year anniversary of Waco, and the narrative that was given was that Tim McVeigh was disenfranchised after Waco. But there's actually a good amount of evidence that Tim McVeigh was working for the military, that he was still in the military, and that this was a military operation. Um. um can I just jump in there? Uh, yeah. Apparently...
3: Um- uh, I was watching, which one was this? Well, oh, I'm a little bit messy with my notes. I think it might have been um, James Corbett talking to Chris Emery perhaps. Anyway, um, he was saying that McVeigh has a, he was ex-military and he was a sharpshooter. Um, he actually had medals of commendation um, and the CIA employed him as, well, they did look into this, the CIA employed him as a drug smuggler and an assassin. Um, he was also an FBI recruit for blowing up buildings. So with that in mind, um, this guy was raising the point that uh, Tim McVeigh was apparently, um, what do you call it? He was on death row, basically. They they executed him. Yeah, they executed him. But the, this guy was saying it doesn't make sense that, that he doesn't believe he was actually executed because... It's a sort of it's like a, as a business. Looking at it from a business prospect, one of one of their biggest, you know, one of their best assets. You just don't kill off one of your best assets. So again, um, there's no real proof. I believe there was no autopsy uh, allegedly. Correct. So uh, yet again, uh, no way to prove anything. Just like again, Epstein, etc., all those other similar cases. The book I was reading. Inconsistencies. Awesome.
2: The hurdle. book I just finished also made a point to say that uh, only certain people witnessed the execution, so that's yeah. in line with what you're saying, Stella.
0: So th- you're you're saying they executed him, in, you know, in in prison because he was on death row, mm-hmm. and why? And if he was a compromised asset, why wouldn't they get rid of him?
1: Well, I don't know that he would necessarily have been considered compromised. I think he was completing his duty. I think he was doing the job that he was assigned to do. And the other thing, so Richard Booth thought that he actually did die. He thought that, yes, he thought that he was working for them and that they would not kill him. But he thought that they actually did kill him. But even according to James Corbett, uh, his video, The Secret Life of Timothy McVeigh, up until the day, Tim McVeigh had, A, like Cell was saying, fought to not have an autopsy after he was dead, which is standard operating procedure once you're put to death. And he also had told people, they're not going to kill me. There is medicine, like they're going to give me something else. It's going to make me look like I'm dead. And then they have essentially, um, what's the word? An anecdote or is that not anecdote? an Antidote. antidote. <laughs> antidote that they will give me or something that they will give me that will bring me back and revive me and like Romeo had...
0: and Juliet so you're saying yeah. Timothy McVeigh is not dead not necessarily I'm...
1: right there's the conversation that he may not be dead
3: there are questions
1: there's yeah. certainly Question.
3: no evidence that he is put it that way right they made,
2: they made it pretty obvious that his defense messed up in every possible way they could possibly like ever mess up, and it seemed like the entire court procedure was just not typical. Mm, so, yes,
3: and there was there was something to do with um, there was uh, an appeal or some last minute thing that was happening. And as soon as as soon as a court decision was made, like he was executed really fast, like within twenty four hours or something apparently, which is quite unusual as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that there's must always have a been question. much
2: later though because. This happened in '95, and he wasn't executed until like 2002.
3: Yeah, that's right. But when the court cases were, they went on for a while.
0: Um, Wait, so did he get executed years later, or did he get executed immediately following the court? Because was saying after the case, whatever the court case case was, whatever
3: conclusion. Yeah, I mean these things, and they always get dragged out for years, don't they? I mean, some of those guys that are on death row, they've been on there for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. But I did notice one thing,
2: that they gave him the option to get different, um, a different entire defense team, and he waived that and just wanted to go ahead with the trial. And I thought that was strange, because they were messing up every which way.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was like the mess up, sorry, a planned mess up.
0: Yeah, you can be kind of stuck in limbo for, you know, a year or so or two uh, after a murder, if you've been arrested for murder. But the you won't be on death row for years because the original case is still ongoing. You'll be on death row for years because you have filed appeal after appeal after appeal until you run out yeah. of appeals. So yeah,
2: from he, what I understand, he actually just wanted to get it over with,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so, so, if so he, was, he wasn't filing the
0: appeal. If he was convicted in when? 96, 95, 97? Mm-hmm.
1: So it wouldn't have been 95 probably because it, everything happened in April of 95. I don't okay. have the date of when he was convicted.
0: Okay. As he was.
1: That, he was already arrested, though. He got arrested like that day or the next day, um, because he was stopped by a cop. Which that's another question in and of itself. Like, so he mm. was fine killing 168 people, but then he wasn't fine just killing a cop that pulled him over. It doesn't make uh, sense.
0: If, like you said, if he were a, a government asset and he had no worries. If, you know, my, my handlers are going to take care of me. I'm not going to be in any trouble if I get arrested here. He was Correct.
2: convicted in 97 and was executed in 2001.
0: Okay. So it was I, – I mean the the death row could just be backed up that long, but I I doubt it. If he was not filing appeals and just wanted to let the process happen – it shouldn't have taken him that long to get zapped or poked or whatever they do in Oklahoma. I also just yeah. say was, uh... that
3: he was, his uh, the date of his death was June 11, 2001, and he was aged 33.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, if you don't mind,
2: I have a short list of the few other people that died that were connected to
0: case yeah, yeah who else died it. mysteriously other than Yiki, uh, well, we didn't Ken- even, hold on we didn't even talk about Yiki's death we mentioned it earlier but did we talk did uh, we give any details about how he died we just said he didn't get a chance to say his piece
1: uh no we didn't and i was i was thinking that maybe we can go over that maybe after perm gives a list we can talk about okay that. well let, yeah let go ahead
0: and we'll
2: all right, I'll start with the top. Uh, Kenneth Trinity, and I've seen Jose mention him before as well. He died in custody at a federal prison in Oklahoma City in August 1995. His death was ruled a suicide, but his family believes he was murdered because he resembled a suspect in the bombing. Uh, mm-hmm. David Hoffman, assistant U.S. attorney who worked on the case, died in a plane crash in 95 along with his wife and two children. The cause of crash was never determined. William T. Bill Grider, investigative reporter who covered the OKC bombing, died in a car crash in 97, which was ruled an accident. And we come to Terrence E. E. And they called his a suicide. And I think Jose goes into detail with that, and we can let him talk about that. Um... And last is J.D. Cash, a reporter who covered the Oklahoma City bombing, died in a car crash in 98, which was ruled an accident. So two years in a row, re- reporters died in car crashes that were tied to the event.
1: And the other thing that I wanted to mention, and I don't have this this doctor's name, but there was a doctor who was working with Terrence Yeeke, and he ended up dying in a plane crash also. And apparently Terrence Yeeke and this doctor had been speaking to each other and potentially even sharing information. And they even had a safe deposit box together that was closed, like, very shortly after Terrence's death without, like, his ex-wife didn't even know about it. And nobody in either family was the person who closed it. But when I was listening to her interview, she didn't know who had closed it, though. So that was very strange as well. There also, oh, oh, go ahead, Stella. I was just
3: going to say, it makes me sort of feel like I want to see the passenger list next time before I get on a plane. (laughs) Who am I flying
1: with here? Yeah. And I think that uh, this would be worth double checking, but there was a stripper who was working at a club called Lady Godiva. Lady Godiva's that was not in Oklahoma City, but it was nearby, and apparently Tim McVeigh had told her that night that he was a very smart man, and as of April the 19th, she would remember his name forever. So that was a weird thing, and I think that she ended up dead also. But that, her retelling of that conversation was on some of the videotape that actually survived she was telling some of the other girls that she was working with. Mm, Interesting.
3: I do know there was a bunch of witnesses um, in the, that were interviewed in the earlier part, which perhaps Terence Yiki may have even had something to do with, um, who claimed to have heard multiple explosions within the building about seven or eight seconds before the said actual explosion that, was supposedly created everything, and another interesting point that came up was um, what did they call it? Yeah, so the blast pattern itself. So experts and engineers, etc., would look at the blast pattern, and they can tell by that very easily um, whether you know there's one device through multiple devices involved. Um, if there's one device, it should be a what's called a symmetrical blast pattern. Um, but this turned out to be an asymmetrical blast pattern suggesting that there's more than one device more than one explosion involved
1: and i think that hard there is some... hard
3: to argue with sort of that that kind of technical argument Yeah, you know it's hard to sort of argue with that sort of
1: stuff mm-hmm. yeah but i i do think there have been some explosive experts that have at least tainted the waters i don't know that that Maybe they didn't do it intentionally, but you you do have some people who were like, oh well, this couldn't have come from anything else. Um that that they talk about in the um the book that Perm was discussing, Oklahoma City, what the investigation missed, why it still matters. And so I think that maybe even those people were there to muddy the waters because, like you were saying, there there are people who literally said, I felt too two blasts they felt yep that's it something I mean, else uh, after and then e- even in the book they talk about well that was because of the the oxygen rushing out and the oxygen rushing back in and it's like okay sorry go ahead yeah.
3: absolutely i totally agree there's always those people that are coming in purposely to muddy the waters so that the truth is you know, kept in the mud um, however when you get technical information like that from supposed experts on, on a fairly wide range that don't look like they're connected. I mean, you can never know. But then right. you marry that up with the other witnesses who saw, heard, felt, what have you, and are speaking like still in shock. Now they're they're going to tell the truth. They're not going to be lying about anything. So you marry all those things up together and you get your puzzle pieces, you know, coming together, forming a picture, obviously. So. um they can muddy it up as much as they want, but the truth is going to prevail at some point. And it already is. I mean, it just seems like it's not a, it wasn't a perfect story. There's there's questions. So like as in many other
1: events. Definitely. And the other thing that I had heard now, I don't have a lot of detail on this. But I thought it was a very interesting point. So first of all, the president at that time was Bill Clinton. Um, This is after the Vince Foster suicide that had happened. So that's one of the more prominent suicides and deaths that have been associated with the Clintons. And allegedly there was documentation that could have been problematic for the Clintons that was being stored at this building as well. So it was, it seemed certainly like a perfect event to um, achieve many, many goals for the powers that shouldn't be. And then I also wanted to say that Terrence Yickey's widow had said that this interview that she was doing on the radio with these folks was like one of the first ones of anybody in that entire state. That was even willing to speak with her at all about that so it appeared that there was a lockdown on media already even at that time nobody was interested in her story
3: yeah that's a good point i mean that the only way that these things can be pulled off if they aren't as they appear or as we're told the only way it can work is through the compliance of the media and the only way that works is generally through ownership So, I mean, there was various reports of different reporters who were doing investigative journalism while employed with media companies who then, you know, didn't renew their contracts because they could see there was, you know, buggery going on um, and then left the media and continued their reports. And, you know, some of them ended up dead, I guess. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's just another tool, the ownership of the media. That's what helps all this stuff work. It's the glue, I guess.
1: Yes. Um, And a couple of other things I wanted to tell people. So Richard Booth was someone who is essentially an OKC historian at this point. So um, Jose Galson, No Way Jose, has, I believe it's a 10-part YouTube series where he is speaking with Richard Booth, and they kind of break it down on these various topics. But basically, Richard was 17 at the time of the bombing and obviously he was living in oklahoma at the time and so it was very impactful to his life but then he also noticed these many things that were not making sense to him and so he started collecting documents newspaper clippings following all the threads of the story very closely and now almost 30 years later he is quite a historian on that, and he wanted a place to house all of that material that he's collected and really make it available for people that are interested in using that to write essays and to write books and um, to really have a, a, a widely available resource to people. And he was able to house that at Scott Horton's Libertarian Institute. So that can be found at the Libertarian Institute Archives. And then I also wanted to say that Jose has that 10-part series on his YouTube channel, which is No Way Jose. James Corbett has several videos and podcasts that he's done on the topic as well. And then uh, the other thing is that Richard Booth actually posted recently on his Substack, kind of how he recommends approaching the material. And I had reached out to him on Twitter and he wrote me back um, a lot of really good information. But basically he said the first place to start is the Wikipedia page because there you're going to get the official story. And then he recommended some of his essays. He recommended the book that Perm was talking about and uh, several other things. So I'm going to put that in our show notes as well and then if anyone has any questions feel free to reach out to me and i will you know send you to any of these places share the links with you help you find something if you're looking for it um if you want to dig into that so i wanted to encourage people especially to check out richard's work but once you start hearing I mean, there's so many players here. There's so many different things that don't make sense. So many people that ended up dead that were trying to do the right thing. It's just a very bizarre story. It's so much more than I ever knew.
3: Yeah. And I'd also recommend James Corbett, Corbett corbettreport.com. He also does some excellent, he was researching this stuff for years. So he's got some excellent um, docos and bits and pieces about this same
1: subject. So Perm, um, in reading the book, I just wanted to ask you if there's anything else that was standing out to you that was very weird. I know one of the things that is super strange is the fact that there was at least, I think it was 22 to 24 eyewitnesses that saw somebody else with Timothy McVeigh that was absolutely not Terry Nichols. Terry Nichols was not there that day and they were never even spoken to. They acted like it never existed when they were interviewing, and none of those people were called to testify during the court case or anything like that. So that's a huge red flag and very weird.
2: Yeah, a lot of what I got out of it was that people would ask them, like, why didn't you investigate this or that? And they would say, oh, if if the uh, evidence led us to that, we would have investigated it, but the evidence didn't really lead us that direction. And uh, one of the things I thought was strange was one guy they interviewed like seven times said that uh, Timothy McVeigh took him back to his trailer one night or something like that, and they pulled around, and he said Timothy was very good at what he did, and that... <laughs> <laughs> that he had hinted at oral, or at anal sex, but he didn't have a condom, so they went to sleep, and he made him bacon in the morning. <laughs> I was like, thought that was pretty random thing to include in the book.
1: <laughs> that is random. Did you breakfast. believe it?
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Timothy McVeigh didn't come off that way to me. No. And then it said that the guy said, I don't think he's gay. I would probably call him bisexual. I think he was just messing around. I thought that was kind of strange.
3: That's very strange. Wasn't there some narcotics quite heavily involved with Timothy McVeigh, or am I imagining that? I seem to remember that coming up along the way.
1: They said he was using meth, at least before that, that he, and they said, so as much as Terry Nichols was supposed to be a very good friend of his. That he had had an affair with Terry Nichols' wife, and that he was on meth, and you know, it doing sounds. Jobs.
2: They also said a lot that he was the type to get really close to you and then hit on your wife.
3: What sounds like a real weasel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: but I I will say, you know, I don't I don't know much about Timothy McVeigh other than the headlines, but um, if he were doing some bisexual stuff close to that time. I don't know. That might make sense. If you, if you knew you were about to go do something like that, you know, who knows what your, your brain's going to be okay with at that time. You know, you're going to be thinking about, I could possibly get blown up. I know I'm going to be, this is a wild thing. You're going to have adrenaline kind of stuff. It's, you know, freewheeling end of the world kind of. Looking through the bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. That kind (laughs) of thing. So I would normally agree with you,
2: but in his case, it seemed like he was more like a robot. Like this, just was what it was. It had to be done, and the kids that died were just collateral damage. And this is what the military instilled in me. And yes,
3: um, sorry, yeah, sorry. uh, Just he was
2: very robot-like. Like I don't think that it didn't come off to me that he had the adrenaline rushes and things. There was just kind of business as usual.
3: Yeah, mm, Very true. And uh, there was know. definitely some mind control stuff yeah. involved with Timothy McVeigh. Um, yeah, it was, it was mentioned a number of times, different programs. So you're probably dead right there. Um, quite a robotic character. Um, 19 children were killed that day, I believe. That That's another thing that's, uh, I guess that's just the way the pure evil comes in. If the motivation was to get rid of some freaking, you know, Clinton papers or some evidence or, you know, that kind of crap, they could do it at, you know, 1, 2 in the morning, what have you, but no, no, no. They do it at 9 o'clock, 9.02 a.m. it was. So all the little kiddies were there and dropped off on their preschool place, whatever it was, child-minding nursery. Um, they had to do it then.
2: Yep. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. it sounded like a couple of the agencies had offices in that building and they weren't there that day, so obviously yeah, – Right. The ATF
1: was not there that day and there was some other weird stuff that had happened like people had seen some like a some explosion bomb diffusing team in the area and that is not really accounted for so there's some information that potentially they were tipped off or what were they doing there. And then, of course, you do have the fact that, so if they had pre-warning and the ATF knew not to be there, and apparently the ATF story changed a couple of different times about why they weren't there that day, and <clears throat> but they weren't, the, but the daycare was, so why wouldn't they tell everybody there just out of an abundance of caution um, unless they thought that it was going to happen and they wanted it to happen, and then the other thing that didn't make sense to me is they are are trying to say the story that uh, Tim McVeigh was disenfranchised after Waco and after you know what happened with women and children being burned alive, and yet he was okay to go and burn women and children alive and blow them up. It doesn't make any sense to me. And then I do believe that there is an association with a doctor or a doctor that was associated with MKUltra who was working either like at the prison or something, some type of association potentially with Tim McVeigh. So I have thought about a hundred percent if that type of thing had been used on him um, to get him to do whatever he did. I don't know. There's just so much that doesn't make any sense about the story to me at all.
3: There's a lot of uh, things get carried out, which even, I mean, you can't, whether you can believe the stories or not, like even in war, um, where if they're true, you know, they have been, these soldiers or what have you have been totally stripped of their soul. Totally. It's dead, you know, non-existent. So what, what the hell are they doing to these people? I'm, I have no doubt it's through drugs as well, because um, what's the name of the drug? Uh uh, it Audio just isn't coming to him oh look there's various there's many of them but um yeah soldiers are, it's, it's nothing new to um be experimental lab rats for drugs mRNA. <laughs> that's the latest yeah that's the latest fashion um but yeah it's it's gone on and on uh, even before 2020 etc i've had a number of stories about um whatever this drug was i can't think of uh, these Australian soldiers that were being experimented on when they were over in I don't know Indonesia or Vietnam or somewhere. And uh, yeah, very psychological oh Afghanistan I think it was. Um psychological after effects that, you know, a lot of a lot of them committed suicide, and just smashed their lives. Um, and then some of the people that were involved in giving these soldiers these drugs within the army, um, then after being in the army then would go and, you know, be like really high up in drug companies and things.
2: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, those countries all have in common the opiate epidemic. I mean, Vietnam was about yeah. opium and Afghanistan was about opium. Yes. And a lot of the Vietnam War veterans came back with heroin addiction.
3: Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's disgusting. What People just don't realize what the government are doing to their own people. Right. The whole world yeah, I think
2: they do really? realize it. I think they don't give a fuck about the people.
3: Probably the government doesn't. I'm talking about all the normies out there who just have no idea. They just think the government's there to help us. And it's like who was it that said that's the I think it was Reagan, wasn't it? That said that's the last words you want to hear. Some paraphrasing. The last words you want to hear is hi, we're the government and we're here to help we're here to help. <laughs> Along mm-hmm. those lines. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I right. do also wonder about what sort of psychological trauma they expose these people to because if you look into some of the the mind control stuff especially dealing with young children and like the abuse that they've suffered that through um i hate to even say it but sexual trauma that can cause these children to dissociate and to almost create like two separate or more personalities, like it causes significant trauma. And I wonder if something like that is not also at play with people like Timothy McVeigh. I mean, what do we know? Especially if they're going black ops. I mean, they're essentially like totally off the radar. They're not considered military anymore at all. So there, there is even less accountability and knowledge about what's going on than what would normally be happening.
3: Yeah, well, that's what makes them, unfortunately, let's just go there for a moment, it's a very dark place, but the sexual abuse and um, satanic stuff that takes place, they it's basically they have to rip down, it's like breaking the spirit of a horse, they have mm-hmm. to rip everything out of these children and traumatise them so badly that they basically just become this blank canvas and that makes them programmable, right. so that's why they do it.
1: Yeah. And so I, you know, obviously I don't have evidence for that and I have not heard anybody else speculate that, but it just seems like, I mean, it's possible that he was just a straight up psychopath and just thought, or he thought that he was being a patriot and that he thought he was doing the right thing. But it's also possible that he wasn't there at all. Like that there was nothing left of, uh, of a human. I don't know. It's a, I I lean
2: towards that one that he was more of a robot than a human and he was just
3: doing what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, we're assuming that it was him and he's not just a scapegoat, you know, I think he's sort of more of a Lee Harvey Oswald. I think he was
2: definitely on site.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But whether it was his plan or not, I don't know. It was the scapegoat? I just looked it up. on that that uh, drug I was trying to think of—it's called tefenoquin. So it was sort mm. of uh, under the guise of being a malaria-ish type thing. But tafeniquin docea, I will put that into the show notes. Um, it's a very interesting read, actually. Please do.
2: Yeah,
1: I have never heard of that one either. Um, so that is very fascinating for us to to check mm. out. Um, but it's it's really oh it's kind of not overwhelming in a in a bad way but just that if somebody really wants to get into this there is so much material out there for you to go through and to start learning and familiarizing yourself with what happened and there's so many things that don't make sense at all and one thing that i am grateful for is that now whether this is an intentional resurgence or not because i will tell you that Jose went on to Tim Pool and he said, you know, the message that Terry Terrence Yiki didn't kill himself. And then not long after that, CNN came out with an article talking about why did this police officer end up dead? And so Corbett even said this, he has released a video on it and um, he He is saying, why is it there? And I think that's a very valuable question. If CNN is talking about something, then it's there for a reason, and I think it's been very well established that they are not interested in telling us the truth about anything. So why now is this receiving a resurgence?
0: I I think I've seen an ad for a Netflix documentary on Oklahoma City. I think that popped up recently. I am not sure about that. Yeah, but, but why? Why not? Yeah, I, I wouldn't I be know.
2: surprised if Jose had a hundred percent to do with why it's coming out. I mean, he was on Dave Smith's podcast last week. Dave Smith, I mean, arguably people, the libertarian collective want him to run for president.
1: Right. But the you article came the out not well, so the article came out well before his his pod with Dave Smith. I'm not saying that you're wrong about that, but he was on Tim Pool. Then the article came out not long after that. And then just recently he was on with Dave Smith. Well, I mean, in recent
2: years, Tim Pool is is getting Joe Rogan-style numbers, it seems to be. Not Joe Rogan's level, but he's one of the bigger podcasts out there right now.
1: Yeah. Right.
3: He is. And I, I did wonder if it had anything to do with the latest CIA declassifications that were happening, or maybe some of the um, supposed documents that had been released, you know, in a, in a Wikipedia kind of style way on social media. I don't know. Mm. I would like to know what the resurgence, what, what exactly happened there. Like, why now? Is it just a very convenient distraction?
0: I don't know. It happened around this time back then, so I don't it's 28 know.
3: Twenty eight years ago, it's not like it's a major anniversary. Yeah, I know.
0: I, I don't. I don't have an answer for you, but I think maybe the somebody made a documentary of it for whatever reason, released it now, and maybe that's why there's so much talk about it.
1: I don't know. I think there was a Waco, um, some a new series that came out about Waco, but I yeah, don't know yeah. about OKC. Um, not that it's not there. I just there's. I haven't heard about it that I recall, and there's a ton of, you know, just content out there all the time. So it is possible that that's it. But I do wonder why would CNN put it out there? And if PERM is saying that, yes, it was because of Jose's appearance on Tim Pool and that people are curious, I don't know. Because it's not like people, you know, didn't want... The truth about other stuff it's not like they didn't want the truth about covid and stuff like that
2: what i mean is i think cnn's scared of people being awake nowadays and they're trying to jump out ahead of yeah any big thing that's coming out and give their spin on it so the normies hear that first
3: absolutely i totally 100 agree i think it's like they can't put a cork in it so they're just going to go along and and own it basically from the start because they know that we our community's heard about it and we're onto it but it's going to take a little while to jump that huge brick wall to get to the normies <clears throat> and they're they're the ladder, you know so for sure um just one thing when, when you were just talking about waco that just came up recently i've got this this one little note here this point that i i haven't done a whole lot of research on this because i didn't really know much about it but the little bit that i did do over the last couple of weeks months whatever <clears throat> larry potts I don't know if you've come up with that name, perm. Um, come across that name? Or you actually? Uh, Larry Potts was a name that I found was associated with Ruby Ridge, Waco, and Oklahoma City. And uh, uh, I don't know whether um, Jose Gallison, Gallison whatever, uh, Jose will know about this guy, probably, I'd say, but I'd really like to get a take on Larry Potts. Who, who is he and where does he fit in? Was he so, did you guys come across him?
1: I feel like I did hear something about somebody that was associated with all of them. Was he part? Was he working for the federal government, like at the ATF so. or the FBI?
3: I believe so. I don't don't quote me on that, but I think that's mm-hmm. where it came from. Yeah. I should have made okay. notes about that.
0: There, there were several people. That, like it was the same uh, group of feds Operative that, that yeah. operated Ruby Ridge Special that Ops. primarily handled the Waco thing as well. So I mean, yeah. there's going to be think- a lot of overlap there.
1: I guess and- so. You're
3: right. And Timothy McVale was part of the Special Ops, apparently too. So
1: yes, and well, allegedly he was at Waco. Like, um, this, so mm. that was a, I think 57 day. It might have been a 53 day standoff that they had which I didn't realize you know I was young when this stuff happened and then revisiting it I was like oh my god I didn't realize it lasted that long but anyway apparently during some of that point uh Tim McVeigh was actually there observing that um so if anybody
2: has any interest in the Waco goings-on listen to old Bill Cooper radio transmissions you can get all of them there's thousands of them and he interviewed the people inside the Waco building during the standoff before they died.
0: It's where super, can eerie, you find...
1: but yeah, it's was...
2: super interesting.
0: He was that yeah, can he was you... guy, local Texas guy in Waco. He was the radio DJ. And he was, I mm-hmm. think, I think they were calling, weren't the Davidians calling in?
2: They were calling in and he was interviewing take... people inside the building before yeah. they were burned to death. Right.
3: It was, That's not uh, the
2: same Bill Cooper, is it? It's the yes. same Bill Cooper. As
3: William. Yeah. Oh, okay, wow. wow.
1: The wow. Hold I didn't a make a that
2: connection. He it had was, a show called Hour of the days. Time. There's thousands of episodes.
1: Where can you find that at Perm?
2: I find it on Podcast Addict. I assume you can find it on any podcasting app. Just search for Bill Cooper or Hour of the Time. And there's thousands of episodes. They're not. Uh, in order whoever uploaded them thank you for uploading them but they're not very organized well oh yeah so you just kind of have to scroll I that through them you. and look for a
0: topic that you're interested in so uh larry potts just to clarify here he was the deputy director of the fbi oh. during, right, okay. during ruby ridge and waco and so okay if i if i have my guys straight he's the guy that was Making the, the the calls during Waco, and all of the the kind of dramatizations I've seen of stuff about Waco, it it depicts the um, the negotiator guys that were talking to uh, Koresh and some of his you know captains in the inside the, the the Branch Davidian place. They were they were being kind of successful getting kids and and people out. They were negotiating and getting people out of the building while the standoff was happening. Um, But that guy, Larry Potts, he was way too authoritarian, military-minded, and he got sick of waiting around. And he's the one that was kind of forcing these uh, assault charging because he was getting pressure from guys above him saying, oh, this is going on too long. It's costing too much money. We need to wrap this up. And so he's like, we can't deal with this negotiation stuff anymore. We just got to go in and Koresh isn't playing ball. We got to go in and we got to finish this up. He's, I believe he's also the guy that made the decision for the initial assault on Waco, which was a complete fuck up. Um, the the Davidians were tipped off. The FBI knew they were tipped off and they went in, stormed in anyway. And that's that's where you see all that footage of guys on the roof getting shot and, and all that craziness so it's almost
3: like they um jumped in and did something and then the, the, to save face they've just got to go through with it so yeah
0: yeah that's exactly Gallipoli sort of like
3: feel about it
0: <laughs> that's exactly how it's it's framed in the the documentaries and stuff that i've seen and uh anyway it was just a whole big debacle i mean just terrible terrible thing that happened
1: it was and I, that's that's worth doing a deep dive in um Certainly, because I'm curious about that, you know, and especially where I'm at now, it's it's like, I don't believe the official narrative at all. You know, I don't know what yeah. they were up to, but this all happened so close together. So I feel like maybe they were still trying to do the work of, you know, making the the patriot, the gun owner look like the bad guy. And it went horribly wrong, and they actually lost ground. So that's why they had to come in with OKC, or at least that was part of the the reason for OKC. I don't know. It was, but it was was very bizarre. And the fact that they happened exactly two years apart, it's all it's so weird.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it makes sense, you know. If 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 the official narrative has any merit, you know, Timothy McVeigh was supposedly, and I think they have video of him standing in the crowd. Uh, on the street by Waco when that was happening. And so he he witnessed kind of the events and, you know, revenge plot yeah. is, is plausible if, you know, we're supposed to believe any of it. So, I mean, if, you know, it, it makes sense that he would do it on the day because that's important, you know, it's significant. Yeah. yeah look,
3: I, 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 don't, don't, I don't do numerology myself, but I have studied it in the past a little bit and um, I, the fact is that the powers that shouldn't be believe in numerology, numerological, um, guidelines, I suppose, and symbology, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a little bit of maths. I'm sure someone who's very apt at doing their um, gematria or whatever, whatever would see many, many formulas within this whole thing. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know much about it and I'm seeing a few from just the surface, you know, so there's that, <laughs> As
1: well, yeah, it's just it kind of relates big, to
2: that saying that ritual. millionaires study the markets, billionaires study the stars. It's like mm, the people yeah. at the top are interested in more than, yeah, I can see. Yes.
1: So, true. definitely, so true. definitely. Um, this is just such a, a weird story, and it's weird. To see how much makes no sense. That's like in no way could it possibly be true. And yet it was treated by everyone the same way that the COVID lies were like, oh yeah, this is just, this is the new normal. We're just going to accept what happened and move on. And here we are almost 30 years later. The truth is not really out there. You know, there are people who are interested in it. but. It's it's still, people just believe, you know, oh, yeah, it's Tim McVeigh, Terry Nichols. That's it. And it's like, no, it it's so Pass much assault. more than that. Yeah, it mm. passed us off. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, nice. okay. <laughs> um Well, we are right about time now. So um I just wanted to check in with anybody. Does anybody else have any questions or anything else that they want to throw out there about this topic?
3: <laughs> Does it have a stuck?
1: Mm.
3: thanks for asking
1: well, yeah because hopefully we will have a deep dive particularly concerning Terrence Yiki. that's my hope so we're going to work yeah. on trying to make that happen and um based on though the fact that Jose has a 10-part series maybe you know it's possible that we can do more deep dives on this topic because there's so much information out there
2: yeah, yes. I think we'll have to do Waco as well.
3: Agreed. Yeah, yeah. maybe, I, maybe worth... even Ruby Ridge. We could probably yep. have Cam on. Maybe perhaps shout out Cam Homeless. Yeah,
0: everybody, everybody <laughs> kn- that knows about this stuff knows about Ruby Ridge, but I there's it's never been given the spotlight. Like that, people don't sit on it long enough. So I think maybe we could start with that. I think the only deep dive I've heard on Ruby
2: Ridge was those conspiracy guys, Gordo over there in Ireland. Mm. Oh
3: yeah, yep. Yeah. Did they do a fairly extensive dive on that one? Or? they always do, eight hours or something? <laughs> <laughs> probably.
0: Yeah, no, they're good don't you? you know, there's probably a uh, you know a similar story before Ruby Ridge that nobody really hears about. So. Right, it's even actually, less yeah. on the
1: radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd actually that's where... really
0: like
3: to. Sorry. mate. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, for some reason, it's coming come into my head a number of times in the last, I don't know, two or three months, um, about the Hilton Hotel bombing in Sydney in, gosh, uh, I think it was 1972 or maybe 74 or something like that. I'd love to go and revisit that now because you know, as a as a young child, I didn't think much about it except I think it was possibly one of the, I think it was the first time that I ever understood the concept of terrorism. And gosh, I was mm. like, I was really young, really young.
2: Well, I wasn't warning. born, so um, I'm <laughs> down to dive in on that.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, You're young. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to look at the roots and the outcomes of those things. And also, okay. um, oh, there's, look, there's, uh, there's many. There. You could go on for
1: well that's what i was gonna say though i also am interested in um the the big shooting that happened in australia of doing a deep dive on that and like what doesn't make sense there we obviously know what the goal was to take the guns but um to get a little bit more information out there about that
3: yeah there's been a number of them too i mean there was i don't know if you've ever heard of the Hoddle street massacre uh that was in melbourne there was a couple of them within a reasonably short space of time but um yeah i'd have to look into a lot but yeah oh, I mean, one you of the worst the was from the thing before
2: they took the guns away or whatever
3: um Hoddle street was before they took the guns away okay. yeah, i'm pretty sure yeah i yeah. can't remember the name of it and
1: but what was the other big one down there stella you have mentioned it before
0: yeah it wasn't Hoddle Street.
1: Well,
3: Port Arthur was the, was Port the big Arthur. one. That, took the guns yeah, that's anyway. it. that was in Tasmania, actually. Yeah. I was that's living it. in yes. Tasmania at the time. I can I can tell you a little bit. And uh, there's, oh, I think you've got to be a member actually, but there's there's some, a pretty good deep dive on that by one of the guys. Uh, I think he was a a legal man that was working at the time. Might have been a reporter, but either way, yeah, that really opened my eyes to a, a bunch of things. Very interesting, it uh, could go on forever. But Maralinga, that was probably the worst massacre, really, in one sense, and that was from the British government.
2: Maralinga, when's that? When's nuclear
3: that? testing, nuclear mm-hmm. test sites oh, and yeah. the indigenous that didn't seem to matter at the time. Yeah, so there's lots they of different do, things we apparently. could be looking into.
2: Uh, being that we have a bunch of Georgia people, is there anything to the Atlanta Olympics bombing?
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, that guy, he... Uh... He kind of got the shaft from uh That was what ninety seven? Uh, 96. ninety six Olympics. Ninety
2: six. Yeah. I was eleven, so I I remember it happened, but was there anything out of the ordinary to it?
1: I think there was. Wasn't that guy up there they think that he was a Patsy or something, right? He
0: what ha- well, I don't I don't I haven't studied it up, but just from my memory and hearing about it years later and stuff. But there was a security guard who, when the the bomb exploded, he immediately went into action trying to do his job and help people and get people out of there and stuff. But he, for whatever reason, uh, the news, like uh, CNN and news outlets pointed at him as a potential suspect. And the, the Atlanta police and the GBI, whoever was investigating it, they jumped on it too, and so they arrested this guy and just Richard Jewel, Rich, yeah, Jewel, R- raked him over I the coals. I name. Raked him over the coals and kind of ruined his life. And it turned out he had really had nothing to do with it. And I mean, he he wasn't ever convicted or anything that I know of, but you know, the damage was done. And now, mm-hmm. yeah, so court of public opinion. Yep. So that's how I understand what happened. And it was the guy that actually did the bombing, uh, according to the official story, was um, Rudolph. Eric Rudolph. Eric Rudolph. Eric Robert Rudolph. They added his middle name years later. (laughs) Hmm. Um, But uh, he – I think he also had something to do with some abortion clinic bombings possibly. But then he escaped up into the Appalachians and they were searching for him for years.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I remember my family talking about that because uh, you know, I'm from there and mm-hmm. they were like there's no way that somebody is not helping him. There yeah. is no oh. way that this man is not being assisted living out here doing yep, this. Absolutely. But if they saw him as a righteous person, if they saw him you know, then that could explain why they would want to support mm-hmm. him and help him evade the the cops and Keep living it up in uh, in the mountains.
3: Yeah, that was. Can I ask? um, Thank you. Can I ask the Appalachian Mountains? Is that is that where there's a dump? For some reason, that's ringing a bit of a bell. Oh, Uh,
1: I don't, I don't know. So the the chain of the Appalachians runs all the way from Georgia all the way up to Maine mm -hmm. on the East Coast, and I would not be surprised if there was some underground bunkers there, but. It isn't something that I just know about right off the top of my head.
0: Yeah. I, I think there are some, some government installations here, like, you know, uh, like apocalyptic kind of nuclear safety well, holes in the ground that they built they, the, back in the day. I, th- I think I've heard of some of them being there.
3: Around that area. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, they, they've already admitted, like we did sit on the underground podcast. 188, yeah. I think it was uh, military dums that they admit to mm-hmm. in right. America alone.
0: <laughs> but uh, can only
3: imagine how many there actually are?
0: The Appalachians were the original western frontier in the when during the settlement of the Americas, and so the 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 Scottish uh, immigrants that came in settled in the mountains there, and they were all very independent, strong-willed folks, and that culture just survived up to today. And Mm -hmm. so if they felt somebody was being attacked by the government wrongly, then shit. Yeah. They're going to help that guy out.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Interesting.
0: I think he might've had, may've had kin up in the Appalachians too. Hmm. Why he headed up that direction. That helps. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, unless we have anything else, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, I do want to encourage people to, Please check out the resources that we talked about here. We will list that in the show notes. We are going to try to have a conversation with Jose, so please tune into that. Additionally, you can find us on our website, unionoftheunknowns.com. That is our link tree that has links to all of our socials, all of our contact information. Uh, Recently, we're on Rockfin, so you can check us out there as well. Stella, did you have something?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to remind everyone, um, because it's getting harder and harder, as most people will understand now, uh, to do some legitimate research, especially now that AI is involved. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you're a prayer, pray for it, but just use your discernment, because um, it's absolutely, you can never know any of this stuff. And, you know, I mean, like, (laughs) do we need to? But whatever, if you're going to do some research, just use your discernment, cross-reference stuff, look into the roots of where the information is coming from. Just yeah, do it. Do it intelligently. Yeah. Don't just yeah, keep a, believe you know
0: Wikipedia, Wikipedia or whatever. Yeah, keep a flexible, open mind. Careful where you plant your flag these days,
3: because yeah, you know it's keep hard it to with find your history.
0: Yeah, it's hard to find real truth. So just you know,
1: it <laughs> definitely if, is.
0: If someone doesn't believe the same thing that you believe, don't don't jump all over them. Maybe they just read a different article than you did.
1: All right. Anything else?
0: Yeah. Anybody
2: can get a hold of me on Twitter. I'm at permnation, but my handle's big perm. Also, if you want to shoot me an email, as of today, I am big perm at permnation.com.
1: <laughs> so uh,
2: shoot me an email and I'll probably email you back.
1: <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anything much- else?
0: No, let's close this let's Close this up.
1: <laughs> okay. Thank you all for joining us for the show. We really appreciate it. And um, if you have any feedback for us, we would love to hear it. Please reach out. Please email PERM. All that good stuff. And until next time, we will talk to you later. Good night.
0: Bye. Good night. Later. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks.